Chapter Nine, Part Two of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years Reflections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary B. Clayton. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter Nine, The Road to Riches, Part Two. Dr. Valentine will be remembered by many as a man who gave imitations and delineations of eccentric characters. He was quite a card at the museum when I first purchased that establishment, and before I introduced dramatic representations into the lecture room. His representations were usually given as follows. A small table was placed in about the center of the stage. A curtain reaching the floor covered the front and two ends of the table under this table on little shelves and hooks were placed caps hats coats wigs moustaches curls cravats and shirt collars and all sorts of gear for changing the appearance of the upper portion of the person dr valentine would seat himself in a chair behind the table and addressing his audience would state his intention to represent different peculiar characters male and female including the yankee tin peddler tabitha twist a maiden lady, Sam Slick Jr., the precocious author, Solomon Jenkins, a crusty old bachelor with a song, the down east school teacher with his refractory pupils, with many other characters, and he simply asked the indulgence of the audience for a few seconds between each imitation to enable him to stoop down behind the table and dress each character appropriately. The doctor himself was a most eccentric character he was very nervous and was always fretting lest his audience should be composed of persons who would not appreciate his imitations during one of his engagements the lecture-room performances consisted of negro minstrelly and dr valentine's imitations as the minstrels gave the entire first half of the entertainment the doctor would post himself at the entrance to the museum to study the character of the visitors from their appearance he fancied that he was a great reader of character in this way and as most of my visitors were from the country the doctor after closely perusing their faces would decide that they were not the kind of persons who would appreciate his efforts and this made him extremely nervous when this idea was once in his head it took complete possession of the poor doctor and worked him up into a nervous excitement which it was often painful to behold every country-looking face was a dagger to the doctor for he had a perfect horror of exhibiting to an unappreciative audience when so much excited that he could stand at the door no longer the disgusted doctor would come into my office and pour out his lamentations in this wise there barnum i never saw such a stupid lot of country bumpkins in my life i shan't be able to get a smile out of them i had rather be horsewhipped than attempt to satisfy an audience who have not got the brains to appreciate me sir mine is a highly intellectual entertainment and none but refined and educated persons can comprehend it oh i think you will make them laugh some doctor i replied laugh sir laugh why sir they have no laugh in them sir and if they had your devilish nigger minstrels would get it all out of them before i commenced don't get excited doctor i said you will please the people impossible sir i was a fool to ever permit my entertainment to be mixed up with that of nigger singers 
but you could not give an entire entertainment satisfactorily to the public they want more variety then you should have got something more refined sir why one of them cursed nigger breakdowns excites your audience so they don't want to hear a word from me at all events i ought to commence the entertainment and let the niggers finish up i tell you mr barnum i won't stand it i would rather go to the poorhouse i won't stay here over a fortnight longer it is killing me in this excited state the doctor would go upon the stage dressed very neatly in a suit of black addressing a few pleasant words to the audience he would then take a seat behind his little table and with a broad smile covering his countenance would ask the audience to excuse him a few seconds and he would appear as quote, tabitha twist end quote, a literary spinster of fifty-five on these occasions i was usually behind the scenes standing at one of the wings opposite the doctor's table where i could see and hear all that occurred behind the curtain the moment the doctor was down behind the table a wonderful change came over that smiling countenance blast this infernal stupid audience they would not laugh to save the city of new york said the doctor while he rapidly slipped on a lady's cap and a pair of long curls then while arranging a lace handkerchief around his shoulders he would grate his teeth and curse the museum its manager the audience and everybody else the instant the handkerchief was pinned the broad smile would come upon his face and up would go his head and shoulders showing to the audience a rollicking specimen of a good-natured old maid how do you do ladies and gentlemen you all know me tabitha twist the happiest maiden in the village always laughing now i'll sing you one of my prettiest songs the mock maiden would then sing a lively funny ditty followed by faint applause and down would bob the head behind the table to prepare for a presentation of sam slick jr curse such a set of fools off goes the cap followed by the curls they think it's a country sunday school taking off the lace handkerchief i expect they will hiss me next the donkeys on goes a light wig of long flowing hair i wish the old museum was sunk in the atlantic puts on a yankee round jacket and broad brim hat i never will be caught in this infernal place curse it up jump head and shoulders of the yankee and sam slick jr sings out a merry <laughs> why folks how do you do darn glad to see you by hokey i came down here to have lots of fun for you know i always believe we must laugh and grow fat after five minutes of similar rollicking nonsense down would bob the head again and the cursing swearing tearing and teeth grating would commence and continue till the next character appeared to the audience bedecked with smiles and good humor on several occasions i got up quote, baby shows unquote, at which i paid liberal prizes for the finest baby the fattest baby the handsomest twins for triplets and so on i always gave several months notice of these intended shows and limited the number of babies at each exhibition to one hundred long before the appointed time the list would be full and i have known many a fond mother to weep bitterly because the time for application was closed and she could not have the opportunity to exhibit her beautiful baby these shows were as popular as they were unique and while they paid in a financial point of view my chief object in getting them up was to set the newspapers to talking about me thus giving another blast on the trumpet which i always tried to keep blowing for the museum flower shows dog shows poultry shows and bird shows were held at intervals in my establishment and in each instant the same end was attained as by the baby shows 
I gave prizes in the shape of medals, money, and diplomas, and the whole came back to me fourfold in the shape of advertising. There was great difficulty, however, in awarding the principal prize of $100 at the baby shows. Every mother thought her own baby the brightest and best, and confidently expected the capital prize. For where was ever seen the mother would give her baby for another? Not foreseeing this when I first stepped into the expectant circle and announced in a matter-of-fact way that a committee of ladies had decided upon the baby of Mrs. So-and-so as entitled to the leading prize, I was ill-prepared for the storm of indignation that arose on every side. Ninety-nine disappointed and, as they thought, deeply injured mothers made common cause and pronounced the successful little one the meanest, homeliest baby in the lot and roundly abused me and my committee for our stupidity and partiality very well ladies said i in the first instance select a committee of your own and i will give another hundred dollar prize to the baby you shall pronounce to be the best specimen this was only throwing oil upon flame the ninety-nine confederates were deadly enemies from the moment and no new babies were presented in competition for the second prize thereafter i took good care to send in a written report and did not attempt to announce the prize in person at the first exhibition of the kind there was a vague yet very current rumor that in the haste of departure from the museum several young mothers had exchanged babies for the babies were nearly all of the same age and were generally dressed alike and did not discover the mistake till they arrived home and some such conversation as this occurred between husband and wife did our baby take the prize no the darling was cheated out of it well why didn't you bring home the same baby you carried to the museum i'm glad to say that i could not trace this cruel rumor to an authentic source in june eighteen forty three a herd of yearling buffaloes was on exhibition in boston i bought the lot brought them to new jersey hired the race course at hoboken chartered the ferry boats for one day and advertised that a hunter had arrived with a herd of buffaloes i was careful not to state their age and that august thirty first there would be a grand buffalo hunt on the hoboken racecourse all persons to be admitted free of charge the appointed day was warm and delightful and no less than twenty four thousand people crossed the north river in the ferry boats to enjoy the cooling breeze and to see the grand buffalo hunt the hunter was dressed as an indian and mounted on horseback he proceeded to show how the wild buffalo is captured with a lasso but unfortunately the yearlings would not run till the crowd gave a great shout expressive at once of derision and delight at the harmless humbug this shout started the young animals into a weak gallop and the lasso was duly thrown over the head of the largest calf the crowd roared with laughter listened to my balcony band which i also furnished free and then started for new york little dreaming who was the author of this sensation or what was its object mr n p willis then editor of the home journal wrote an article illustrating the perfect good nature with which the american public submit to a clever humbug he said that he went to hoboken to witness the buffalo hunt it was nearly four o'clock when the boat left the foot of barclay street and it was so densely crowded that many persons were obliged to stand on the railings and hold on to the awning posts when they reached the hoboken side a boat equally crowded was coming out of the slip the passengers just arriving cried out to those who were coming away is the buffalo hunt over to which came the reply yes and it was the biggest humbug you ever heard of 
willis added that passengers on the boat with him instantly gave three cheers for the author of the humbug whoever he might be after the public had enjoyed a laugh for several days over the hoboken free grand buffalo hunt i permitted it to be announced that the proprietor of the american museum was responsible for the joke thus using the buffalo hunt as a skyrocket to attract public attention to my museum the object was accomplished and although some people cried out humbug i had added to the notoriety which i so much wanted and i was satisfied as for the cry of humbug it never harmed me and i was in the position of the actor who had much rather be roundly abused than not to be noticed at all i ought to add that the forty-eight thousand sixpences the usual fare received for ferry fares less what i paid for the charter of the boats on that one day more than remunerated me for the cost of the buffaloes and the expenses of the hunt and the enormous gratuitous advertising of the museum must also be placed to my credit with the same object that is advertising my museum i purchased for five hundred dollars in cincinnati ohio a quote, woolly horse unquote, i found on exhibition in that city it was a well-formed small-sized horse with no mane and not a particle of hair on its tail while his entire body and legs were covered with thick fine hair or wool which curled tight to a skin this horse was foaled in indiana and was a remarkable freak of nature and certainly a very curious-looking animal i had not the remotest idea when i bought this horse what i should do with him but when the news came that colonel john c fremont who was supposed to have been lost in the snows of the rocky mountains was in safety the woolly horse was exhibited in new york and was widely advertised as a most remarkable animal that had been captured by the great explorers party in the passes of the rocky mountains the exhibition met with only moderate success in new york and in several northern provincial towns and the show would have fallen flat in washington had it not been for the overzeal of colonel thomas h benton then a united states senator from missouri he went to the show and then caused the arrest of my agent for obtaining twenty-five cents from him under quote, false pretenses end quote. no mention had been made of this curious animal in any letter he had received from his son-in-law colonel john c fremont and therefore the woolly horse had not been captured by any of fremont's party the reasoning was hardly as sound as were most of the arguments of quote, old bullion unquote, and the case was dismissed after a few days of merriment public curiosity no longer turned in that direction and the old horse was permitted to retire to private life my object in the exhibition however was fully obtained when it was generally known that the proprietor of the american museum was also the owner of the famous woolly horse it caused yet more talk about me and my establishment and visitors began to say that they would give more to see the proprietor of the museum than to view the entire collection of curiosities as for my ruse in advertising the woolly horse as having been captured by fremont's exploring party of course the announcement neither added to nor took from the interest of the exhibition but it arrested public attention and it was the only feature of the show that i now care to forget it will be seen that very much of the success which attended my many years proprietorship of the american museum was due to advertising and especially to my odd methods of advertising always claiming that i had curiosities worth showing and worth seeing and exhibited dog cheap at quote, twenty-five cents admission children half price unquote, i studied ways to arrest public attention to startle to make people talk and wonder in short to let the world know that i had a museum about this time i engaged a band of indians from iowa 
they had never seen a railroad or steamboat until they saw them on the route from iowa to new york of course they were wild and had but faint ideas of civilization the party comprised large and noble specimens of the untutored savage as well as several very beautiful squaws with two or three interesting papooses they lived and lodged in a large room on the top floor of the museum and cooked their own victuals in their own way they gave their war dances on the stage in the lecture room with great vigor and enthusiasm much to the satisfaction of the audiences but these wild indians seemed to consider their dances as realities hence when they gave a real war dance it was dangerous for any parties except their manager and interpreter to be on the stage for the moment they had finished their war dance they began to leap and peer about behind the scenes in search of victims for their tomahawks and scalping knives indeed lest in these frenzied moments they might make a dash at the orchestra or the audience we had a high rope barrier placed between them and the savages on the front of the stage after they had been a week in the museum i proposed a change of performance for the week following by introducing new dances among these was the indian wedding dance at that time i printed but one set of posters large bills per week so that whatever was announced for monday was repeated every day and evening during that week before the wedding dance came off on monday afternoon i was informed that i was to provide a large new red woolen blanket at a cost of ten dollars for the bridegroom to present to the father of the bride i ordered the purchase to be made but was considerably taken aback when i was informed that i must have another new blanket for the evening inasmuch as the savage old indian chief father-in-law to the bridegroom would not consent to his daughter's being approached with the wedding dance unless he had his blanket present i undertook to explain to the chief through the interpreter that this was only a quote, make-believe wedding but the old savage shrugged his shoulders and gave such a terrific ugh that i was glad to make my peace by ordering another blanket as we gave two performances per day i was out of pocket hundred and twenty dollars for twelve wedding blankets that week one of the beautiful squaws named do homa died in the museum she had been a great favorite with many ladies among whom i can especially name mrs c m sawyer wife of the rev dr t j sawyer dohoma was buried on the border of sylvan water at greenwood cemetery where a small monument erected by her friends designates her last resting place the poor indians were very sorrowful for many days and desired to get back again to their western wilds the father and the betrothed of dohoma cooked various dishes of food and placed them upon the roof of the museum where they believed the spirit of their departed friend came daily for its supply and these dishes were renewed every morning during the stay of the indians at the museum it was sometimes very amusing to hear the remarks of strangers who came to visit my museum one afternoon a prim maiden lady from portland maine walked into my private office where i was busily engaged in writing and taking a seat on the sofa she asked is this mr barnum it is i replied is this mr p t barnum the proprietor of the museum she asked the same was my answer why really mr barnum she continued you look so much like other common folks after all i remarked that i presumed i did but i could not help it and i hoped she was not disappointed at my appearance oh no she said i suppose i have no right to be disappointed but i have read and heard so much about you and your museum that i was quite prepared to be astonished 
i asked her if she had been through the establishment i have she replied i came in immediately after breakfast i have been here ever since and i can say i think with the queen of sheba that the first half had not been told me but mr barnum she continued i have long felt a desire to see you i wanted to attend when you lectured on temperance in portland but i had a severe cold and could not go out do you like my collection as well as you do the one in the boston museum i asked dear me mr barnum said she i never went to any museum before nor to any place of amusement or public entertainment excepting our school exhibitions and i have sometimes felt that they even may be wicked for some parts of the dialogue seem frivolous but i have heard so much of your moral drama and the great good you are doing for the rising generation that i thought i must come here and see for myself we represent the pathetic story of charlotte temple in the lecture-room to-day i remarked with an inward chuckle at the peculiarities of my singular visitor who although she was nearly fifty years of age had probably never been in an audience of a hundred persons unless it might be at a school exhibition or in sunday school or in church indeed i am quite familiar with the sad history of miss temple and i think i can derive great consolation from witnessing the representation of the touching story at this moment the gong sounded to announce the opening of the lecture-room and the crowd passed on in haste to secure seats my spinster visitor sprang to her feet and anxiously inquired are the services about to commence yes i replied the congregation is now going up she marched along with the crowd as demurely as if she was going to a funeral after she was seated i watched her and in the course of the play i noticed that she was several times so much overcome as to be moved to tears she was very much affected and when the services were over without seeking another interview with me she went silently and tearfully away one day two city boys who had thoroughly explored the wonders of the museum on their way out passed the open door of my private office and seeing me sitting there one of them exclaimed to his companion there that's mr barnum no is it asked the other and then with his mind full of the glories of the stuffed ganderskins and other wealth which had been displayed to his wondering eyes in the establishment he summed up his views of the vastness and value of the whole collection and its fortunate proprietor with a single sentence well he's an awful rich old cuss ain't he these boys evidently took a strictly financial view of the establishment end of chapter nine part two recording by gary b clayton